Hello, this is Bridget Leroy. Today's show, an interview with singer-songwriter Sophie B. Hawkins, was our inaugural show, which aired on September 30th, 2018. Here it is in an updated format. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Socolow. Hi, Alex. Hi, Bridget. Here we are doing our very first show. We're going to have our special guest, Sophie B. Hawkins. Very excited. Later this, this hour. But first, we're going to kind of set the stage, I guess, because this is our very first our show. Our inaugural maiden voyage. <laughs> inaugural and maiden. Wow. Exactly. This is the first time. Thank you guys for listening, those that are listening. I've always imagined that NPR listeners are smarter and more sophisticated or just don't get any other station. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're really kissing up already, aren't you? Pandering. Starting with pandering. pandering. Start it early. Anyway, um, one of the things that we wanted to touch on during this show, and of course Sophie will, will join in, is um, we're both writers. Yes. So I write mostly journalism for my entire life. I can't imagine writing fiction. People always tell me to write a novel. I don't have the patience. And you, Alec, started in late night TV, I think, pretty much. I mean, we've known each other for a million years. Yeah. And you were writing for the Arsenio Hall show, so you had to write current events stuff. You know, write had to be done every night. But then you segued into writing the movie Toy Story, among others, which is complete. I mean, you couldn't go further in another direction because it is going from complete reality and current events and, and humor. I mean, that was yeah, the, the one. One was, it, one was a cartoon and the other one was Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, let's talk about our writing processes. Yeah, I would love to. To say, yeah, and by way of introduction, yeah. So, we both are writers, and hopefully, what this show will uh, promote is ideas and looking at the creative process and looking at the dots that people connect in their own lives as they tell their own stories. I've been fortunate enough for now pushing 30 years to have toiled in writing and all forms of writing for the electronic media and um, don't really know how I got from there to here but I did and just did it every day little by little so when I was writing late night um, you know it's a lot of jokes it's a lot of topical stuff um, I'm still I'm, I'm really really a process thinker and really believe in framework and so back then I was trying to conquer the framework of a joke trying to understand why something is considered funny, not just what, like the the idea would be fungible. See, I, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but that would take all of the, I, at some point it becomes not a joke anymore, like in Rain Man where he's always saying who's on first. Yeah, but, but it, to me that's freeing. It's like, it, what's freeing is to understand structure. And if you understand this, so the first joke I wrote that Arsenio performed that then got printed in the LA Times was a simple rule of three joke. And the rule of three in comedy is the first thing you say establishes something the second thing you say reaffirms the logic of something and the third thing you say breaks the logic and that's why people laugh because okay, so give, what was the joke the joke was los angeles is a city of uh alternatives or whatever if you don't like disneyland it's not very hill if you don't like the beach there's the ocean if you don't like basketball there's the clippers right the los oh, angeles right, clippers. right which was so, the basketball which team. is basketball team. okay it is right well again but that's a, that's the rule of three but to me that was freeing because it was like i got it like i got it. if i do that I'll get the reaction I want. Now, it's kind of like how in jazz, it's like there's just 12 notes. It's how you play them. But I will say I was not born to do that too long because yeah, I, mean, I how found long it. You were there for what? I did a couple years. Year, Actually, the, I did the old Joan Rivers show that Arsenio came on. Um, I worked on the writing staff of a show. Like in the, If somebody ever wrote a book on like the 100 worst TV shows in the history of television, yeah. The Wilton North Report might have been like fifth, like five. I don't even horrible I think show. I, I, I'm probably saw kind of a precursor, I it, kind maybe? of a precursor to The Daily Show. It was a fake news show that was going to run on then the new network Fox five days a week, a strip show, and um, it was just horrible. But it had an amazing writing staff, amazing writing right. staff. It had over forty writers, that included uh, Jeff. I think Krasner and Slansky, the guy that did the uh, Dubious Achievement Awards for Esquire, and another guy who was a yippie uh, with Abby Hoffman and that stuff. It had these these other over 40 writers who were... What was the show called again? The Wilton North Report. Okay. And then it had these under 30 writers, myself included, but Conan O'Brien, uh, Nell Scavell, who has gone on uh, you know, to have a big career in sitcoms, uh, Greg Daniels, who helped put... Um, King of the Hill and The Office on the Air. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, amazing writers. Right. And, uh, and all the 
under 30 writers would come in and just want to make pages and be competitive right, and right. all this stuff. And all the over 40 writers would come in and put like a towel underneath the door and get high <laughs> and just like <laughs> wait for the day to like go for lunch, right? Oh, God. But the show was horrible. Okay. Why I say that, and then I went to the Arsenio show, and why I say that is because that process of writing is very transactional and it's mm -hmm. very disposable and it is really dehumanizing because you're just trying to get material on the air. You're and just you have to do it funny. every single day and, and you have to be funny. And you have to detach from reality so that the and, Space but, Challenger could crash and you're already making Sally Ride jokes an hour later. Right. And that, to me, felt really fraudulent, but I was getting paid, I was young, I was like, oh, I'm in show business. The whole thing was working. Right. But I always wanted to write movies. I love movies. I always I see movies as like the greatest art form. The idea that dozens of people come together and somehow collaborate and make something that is so seamless and so that everybody possesses so internally um, and can and can exist throughout time and space. So you can watch a movie that's almost a hundred years old now and still have the same emotions that were intended. Uh, well, let me let me just interject here because yeah. I know you were going to ask me anyway. So yeah. while you're doing that, yeah. I'm getting a job. Oh yeah, so let's talk about journalism. <laughs> right, I'm sorry, well, you got no, me going. No, no, I me know going. I get sorry. you going, and I just That's have to it. interject. You're like the only person in the world because you know I talk nonstop. You're yeah. the only person who can shut me up seriously. But so while you're doing that, I'm a, a proofreader for the East Hampton Star, with no experience. I did not graduate from from college. Yeah. Um, I, I went to acting school. By the way, though, that's that's not a bad thing because you probably got to learn more. Well, by not being forced through the institutional. I maybe, but for whatever, I mean, I had the best teacher, which was Helen Rattray, and and the East Hampton Star. You know, and I'd always wanted to write. I'd always been a writer in high school, and you know, I but I would write like sonnets, and they would be funny, you know, funny sonnets or whatever. But I really, you know. Just fiction was not something that I thought I could ever, and still don't feel like it's something that I can that I really would excel at. But I love writing something that's 650 to a thousand words, and something that's based in fact, and being able to be creative with those facts. No, God, that sounds horrible. No, no, not no, no, being no, no. But, with but, the but facts, Bridget, but, like we were talking about this the other day. But being and, able to right, frame it in a creative way. I still way. look at like journalism is a point of construction and how you construct a story and your lead sentence or your lead paragraph, which you're gonna call back at the very end in some way, is no different than like the, the building of a screenplay. Well, that's what I was just, that's why I wanted to interject because what you're talking about is like a movie is all these people collaborating and you know, it's something that, can, that lives throughout time and it's the same thing with a newspaper. The only difference is that a newspaper is put out weekly or sometimes daily, but it's an enormous collaboration. I mean, from everything from the writers, to the photographers, to the people who sell the ads, to the people who design the ads, to the people who lay out the paper, how, to the people so, who make how, how the you, actual how, how, do you, how do you read a newspaper? I can tell you how I read my newspaper. Is and this it, a joke? No, no, like, not, this is, there, is not is a joke. A no, no, okay. there's no joke. I, because what you're talking about, where it's very similar to me, is I really think a lot about how people consume movies, or how people consume what I'm trying to do. And what I find when I read a newspaper, I read it in a very unique way. I probably don't know if anybody else reads how, it. How do you read it? I'll read it backwards to front, more than frontwards to back. Um, I'm less consumed with the events and more consumed with the ideas, which tend to be in the back of the newspaper. Um, and, and so to me, even though there's a philosophy in that, there's a whole philosophy in how newspapers put out information. And, right. and when print was really king, um, the emotional experience that people have with their newspaper. So I still read print. I'm an old fart with that. Yeah. That you know, I have a hard time consuming things online and having that same emotional. Well, I just want to get back to what you were right. saying about the writing process because I I totally panic when I when I'm going to write something like even Sophie B Hawkins is sitting in the studio and she's going to come on to talk about like her writing process but even when it's someone who's an old friend like Sophie I I, I don't want to say I panic but I always get I would call it like a healthy concern that I'm going to do a really good job because I usually interview the person and I have to write it within 48 hours and I want something that's going to be the best I don't and, want and why, that's and why do you want that and why do you want that because I, I I'm a gaping hole of in need of constant right. attention and affection why, and, and why, approval and why do people write fiction a big part of it is ego. A big part of it is, is you want the pat on the head. You want somebody to say it's good. I could tell you that, like, you know, somebody once said, you know, only read the good reviews. And, you know, it's the bad reviews that would make you better, even though 
you're not supposed to care about what anybody says. Right. But of course we do. I yeah. mean, of course we do. So you have you have editors and you have bosses and you have and readership and you have people saying great article or whatever, and that's what's motivating you. What do you love most about journalism? Uh, connecting with the people that I interview. Right. I mean, really, that's the connection. It's really about the connection. And But what I was going to say is that no matter what, it's really funny. I mean, I can interview Sophie on a Thursday, have know that I'm going to have to listen to the frickin' tape and hear my own voice, which I hate, which is, like, ironic because now we're on the radio, and, you know, have to listen to this again and listen to me talk, telling her about my life and letting her say a word every, like, ten minutes. And what I do is when I go to sleep, I literally just, you know, and I'm not trying to sound anything this is just true I, I go to sleep and I say in the morning when I wake up I will have the, the perfect first sentence and once I have the perfect first sentence my, and mine would be like and mine would be like man I gotta pee <laughs> well <laughs> after I pee while I pee I have the perfect first sentence and and it happens it happens yeah. I don't know why it comes to me in my subconscious and and I wake up and That's I have so, the sentence. Right, but so writing is channeling something. You're channeling something. We're all channeling something. But I couldn't do what you do because if I had to circle back or, you know, that's one of those buzzwords now, but if I had to look again at what I had written, if I had to go back and look at I mean, I mean, I will go back and look at it and maybe add something or, you know, change a paragraph around and, of course, I edit other people's stories. But if I had to sit for three months and write one story, I, I don't know how you do it. I mean, I know right now you're working on two scripts. I know, which I would prefer not to. It's, it's what very, would you rather be writing? What would you rather be writing? Yeah, what form? Well, I would love writing screenplays. I just, I, when I'm writing two, I can never really live in one. And then it becomes house painting and not like architecture. Right, not architecture. Not like building something. Amazing. Um, so, um, yeah, this fall has not so been ideal. It's really interesting, though, but it's part of your process. And that's it what is. we're talking it gets about. Gets me out of bed. So anyway, this is Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. Sundays on the East End, and uh, we're going to bring on our guest uh, Sophie B. Hawkins. Um, maybe after a little musical break. Stay tuned. This is John Landis, your host for the Jam Session Radio Hour on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Sunday nights at 8, bringing you the best in local live jazz, all recorded live right here at some great venues on the east end of Long Island. And please stay tuned to 88.3 WLIW-FM, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. The following is a public service announcement from 88.3 WLIW-FM. Founded in 1974, the Animal Rescue Fund is an animal welfare organization located at 90 Daniels Hole Road in Wainscott on the east end of Long Island. ARF's mission is to actively rescue cats and dogs, provide quality care, and offer sanctuary until loving homes can be found. To adopt, donate, or volunteer, 631-537-0400 or arfhamptons.org. Hi, this is Alec Baldwin. And you're listening to 88.3 WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. Hello, this is Bridget Leroy. Today's show, an interview with singer-songwriter Sophie B. Hawkins, was our inaugural show, which aired on September 30th, 2018. Here it is in an updated format. We hope you enjoy. Lay me 
Welcome back to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. And we'd like to welcome our guest and good friend, Sophie B. Hawkins. Hi, Sophie. Hi. <laughs> like we haven't been talking already for like exactly. an hour nonstop. Sophie, that song is so beautiful and it's it one is. of your biggest hits. And, and when I said that I was interviewing you for The Independent, there, so many people said it was like their wedding song. Mm. But, but it's a very personal, it's, it's very personal for you. That song. Yeah, and also many mothers and siblings have written me that they played at the funeral of children. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was... Uh, what, what was the intention of the song? Well, you know, so you were talking about the writing process, both of you. The song, for me, things come out of this, this process of living. Like Alex was talking about, you know, we create... In my words, we're creating... The, the path and the scenery as we're going and then we're living in it we're walking through what we've created however long ago so at that time I was living in the east well on 6th Avenue and Prince Street and I was a waitress at Suen restaurant and I would come home every night so full of daikon and carrots because it's a vegetarian <laughs> restaurant I would feel so gross but then I'd pick up my guitar which I didn't play that well I've never played guitar that well but I do write on it and um, when the when the when the the chords come and the words come and then I write a lot in a journal, it all comes together in a sort of a making a soup kind of way. And I really feel comfortable, comforted by the writing process. I've never had a problem writing. I will go in any corner and write at any time of day, and it's never been like my mother was a writer a novelist who published a book and it was torture for her and the ego was very much involved and for me writing was just the, the greatest place to be well it sounds almost I like an escape. Say it's an escape it's like that's where I find my teachers you know that Alec talked about channeling I learned so much from the songs I learned from the course so I was just doing that thing of playing the guitar over and over finding chords and then the as I laid me down when the chorus came out I said, you have something here. And then it was a little scary. It's very scary. Yeah. Yes, very yes. Scary. When yeah, you yeah. know you have something that's something. Yeah. And you no longer can say, I'll go here now. I'll go there. You're right. saying, oh, no, I'm following this. Right. This, so this. There, there's, a, there's a phrase that yes. I, I like, which is that, you know, the words and thoughts go from your brain to your mouth. And you control them, but the second they leave your mouth, they control you. Yes, yes, Alec, yes. That's and then, and then I knew it was going to be something so unwieldy for me. Yeah. And then when the and so then the first did you? I mean, you knew that, that you moments, had a, a success. This was well, going to be. Is that what it is? I never wanted to be successful. I just wanted to be a great songwriter, and not great in the sense of people will say you're great. Great in the sense that I love songs so much, and I feel that no one can argue with me. I know a great song. And even when I was little and so dumb, like a D student, whatever, <laughs> I still thought I knew great songs. Right. Well, you and did. I mean, you do. I wanted to be in that realm of like when, like somebody said, when did you know you wanted to be a songwriter? And I said, I didn't know I wanted to be a songwriter. I knew I wanted to be a song. When I walked down 85th Street between Central Park West and Columbus, and I was humming a Bob Dylan song, Positively 4th Street, and I said, I want to be that and that was the sound, the voice, the lyrics, the guitar, the harmonica, New York, in whenever he wrote it, it was the whole, it was the whole thing. Yeah. thing. That's beautiful. That's so. Right. And, and you know, it's funny, it's like I, I've never really been able to put the proper words to it, but I want to live on the screen. Yes. I want to live there. Like, I, and I don't mean that like I want to escape from my life. I just yes. mean but that. Minute, like, but now we're kind of talking about immortality, which you, you were kind of talking about where you said a movie lives on. I think, I th well, I think that, well, but songs maintain their value through time more than movies in that, you know, you can watch a movie that's 15 or 20 or 50 years old and you'll notice the technological differences and you'll notice the process differences and you'll notice the the mores are different. You might still be moved by them, but you notice that. But songs you can listen to and have that, that visceral reaction like the first time you ever heard it, no Absolutely. matter where you yeah. are. So songs actually, to me, are, are more godly in some way, even though I have no music ability. I have songs playing in my head 24 hours a day. Oh, God, yeah. me too. Uh, 24 yeah. hours a day. Like, I sleep to songs. I, like, so to me, there's, I think what you're actually talking about, which is fascinating, is it's your connection to uh, you it's a universal, universe. it's godly. Yes. Well, it's universe godly. means well, one song. That's universe. It means one song. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Did you, you not know that? No, I, I, I never did. knew that. But I love it. I, Think about it. I, I wanted know. to, and 
I wanted to say that it's like you're opening the portal. And when you open the portal, it's like that movie I saw Player One last night with my son. Ready Player One. Ready Player Was One. Was that good? I Well, I love watching it with Dashiell yeah. because it's always something special when you watch something with a mind that's so actively in it. Like you said, in the movie, in the movie, so in the movie. My, that was, that's but my wait, son's favorite me, book. Sorry, go ahead. I yeah, didn't yeah, know yeah. it was a book? Yeah. See, okay, that's go the ahead. other part of movies. But, um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So... <laughs> So the thing is about you go into the portal, when you feel the portal opening and you realize you're one of the few and many people who are allowed, but you have to stay open to receive it. And you also are this human person who's going to fumble and keep going back and go make cocoa and come back. You know there's this process where you have to stay sort of on the vehicle. Right. And that you only have your own process of that. Some people get stoned. Some people, like me, make cocoa. And, you know, you have your rituals. When you say cocoa, you mean the drink? Or no, the hot cocoa, yeah. Yeah, okay. Like, like when you, All right. Because yeah. no, there was a movie, Coco. So I'm, oh, that's I funny. No, no, that. no, no. She doesn't. So, but yeah. so you, so, like, the process is, like, hot you chocolate. said you're process-oriented. And I am, too, because I'm also ritual-oriented. But you do know that, that there are times when that portal starts opening. And so you don't know it's going to be great. But you know it's going to be big for you. Right. And you know that it's a challenge for you to stay on it and and be like now you're the co-creator of this something that you've been allowed to get. And that's how As I Lay Me Down. And some songs feel like they come out in a different way. And you have to respect the, them all. Well, let me, let me ask this question because I'm curious about this. So it's not really about building a song, but like because it sounds like what you do is you almost open yourself up. Because I've, I've read about theories of creativity, where there's two aspects that your brain processes yeah. in the creative process. And one is a very playful aspect, where you yeah. have to have every opportunity, go down every quarter, and then Unlike once that. you once you know something, yeah. which is what you were saying, then you shut everything else off, and now you're just in that one yes. place. But you do, I do do the building like you. I'm a structure fiend yeah. in all of life. Like, I, I see the structure of even the days and the minutes. Like, when I go to bed at night, and I think of the how the day began, and I really remember my thoughts in the morning, and then all the surprising things that's happened, and then I think of the structure of the day. I'm overwhelmed and amazed yeah. at structure. So there's the structure of, and this fascinates me too, so there's all those songs that led to the song that you can build something great with. Like As I Lay Me Down gave me the material to build a song that was lasting. There's bad songs and queer songs and kooky songs that lead to those great ones, but they can't all be that amazing. I, just to follow what you're saying, I fail so much. That's one of the things that's so funny because before, yes. before that movie came out, Toy Story. A, Toy Story. I had a comically, comically f failing seven years as a writer. And after that, it's like you get anointed in some way. But I'm actually more mm -hmm. addicted to the failure than I am to the success. I understand that so well because you're, you know that from that failure in that place is where you actually can create something so radically I don't know what the word would be. Radically what? Um, authentic. Yes. I live for that in people, in places, in things, that authenticity. Yeah. That's what true art is, isn't it? I think so, yeah. So anyways, it's never about success for me. And that's the right. challenge of being a, a parent because, you know, success comes into it when you see you have to put food on the table and have a roof over their head and you have to also model certain things so they're not outcasts well let's let's back up so that people know our backgrounds <laughs> right. here okay. so th this is bridget Leroy. we're talking and alex Oklo is the co-host of sundays on the east end we have our guest sophie b hawkins who's famous for damn i wish i was your lover and as i lay me down which we just heard a little bit of which and is so um, beautiful by the way it is. your voice is angelic isn't it? Wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you played Janice as well. And I, I mean, I was so wait, 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 we're talking about kids. Let's just keep on subject for a second. I have three. <laughs> okay. Right? They're 29 <laughs> and 22 space. and 18. And you have I have two I have kids. two um, adult, a burgeoning adult uh, children, I guess right. you would say. Yeah. And and you have two kids, but your yeah. kids are much younger. Yeah. How old are Dash and Esther? Three and nine. Three and nine. And you wow. are a 100% legit single parent yeah legit i mean there was never a, a, was a never man a in the father. picture right uh, how were they uh created i used a sperm donor when i was 30 in los angeles i froze um 
15 embryos and the actual nester came out at the same time so they're essentially twins that's awesome separated by so, six years so i'm living in la and i'm struggling as a writer i'm living in a little rent control apartment and i get a knock on my door from this like crazy neighbor and he's like he's like would you like to make 500 dollars a month and i'm like legal because i needed the money he's I like i'm i i contribute to the ucla sperm bank oh my goodness and i'm like he's like 50 dollars a pop that's where the actual right? nester are from oh well, no wait well, are wait, you wait, the father no 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 i didn't do it no 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 because I'm like, I'm like, this was kind of creepy to me. And it's kind of typical L.A. thing. So, like, um, I'm like, let me think about that. And, 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 he, and, and, he's, and he says, he says, I, you know, I, I make like $500 a month. I'm thinking, so that's 10 times a month. You're right. going off and you're doing this thing. And In how many cup. kids do you have? And he didn't know. And I finally was like, look, I'm ethically, I have a problem with this. Because I don't, what happens if, like, two of your children meet? And right, right. Then whatever. I, that oh, to I me, hadn't even thought about that. Wow. I was just trying to, get, trying, to even... trying to like stop talking to the guy, and then I, <laughs> I moved shortly thereafter. He, he actually shot a bird oh, on no. my patio. Wait, wait, wait. Is that is that a euphemism for what he was <laughs> he shot a bird? Yeah, exactly. No, no. I mean, like okay. this is this is L.A. This is okay. L.A. So. Oh my God. But anyway, anyway but, but, so, but that's awesome. You, that, and but that's a frightening example of a sperm donor. I know. Sorry, they I don't mean never, to get all eugenics no, on. No, but they would put that. They would never put that in the profile. So I'm really lucky that Dashiell and Esther are so. Yeah. Um, but did you you carried them? Yes. Yeah. That's and, amazing. But many years later. Many years later. Yeah. Which I, is so interesting. I knew I wanted to be a mother. And it wasn't like I know I want to be a mother to be a mother. It's just like I never said I want to be an artist because I want to be an artist. I just, it's like that thing, that sort of feeling that you, you know you have to do something to, to learn, to be on this life planet. These are the things you must do, like challenges in a way. Right. One of them I had a sense was motherhood. So I did the embryos way before anybody did it. I, I mean, that's not a plug for being, but it's just, it seems to be people are always surprised they did it then. And then um, much later, I said it's time to. Uh, it's crazy if I told you the story. I really heard no, Dashiell Stone speaking I, to me. I, you've but, told uh, me the story, and I believe about. it. No, but, but, no, but that's I think it's very similar, hear. though, because I think that goes back to, to goes back your to writing your process. Yes. Because when you open up your consciousness yeah. to something much bigger than yourself, creation show up yes and you have to bring the structure and you have to bring the process you have to show up yourself to do yes. it like you can't it's like that woody allen line where was it 90 percent of life is just showing up right. it's like so wow. i think it's i think it's very similar so yeah tell this tell the story about really? that yes why which you, part of it about him speaking to you before oh like you, you i knew was living it was in time. venice a beautiful house that we'd built and i would you know i would go running on the beach and i heard this soul would talk to me and i'd say hey soul I'm not going to be a good mother. I'm going to be really consumed with, you know, wanting to create all the time. And are you going to be up for that? And I don't care about money. And I don't, you know, whatever. And I would just try to convince Dashiell that I was not the right mother. And you knew not his the right name was person. Dashiell already? No, I okay. didn't. I mean, I there was a reason why I named him Dashiell. But, so this, but he had a very distinct personality to me and a color. And wow. he would come to me and I would say, hey, so. <laughs> and then there was a time where I said that I'm going to do this. And then when I went into, you know, when you have the embryo put in you and they thought and they tell you it's not going to happen, the chances are so low. And I was just, shut up, shut up. I know he's coming. I was, I knew it was a him. Mm -hmm. And I did in my head name him Dashiell because of writers. I mean, Lillian Hammond and, 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 and Dashiell Dash Hammond. Hammond. I yeah. love their relationship. They were never married. And he was so, he was so himself. Right. And she let him, she couldn't help but let him be himself. And he made her a better writer. And I loved his yeah. way with her. And That's I loved great. her acceptance of his bigness and her ability to allow him to be this amazingly big mind and big bear of a person. And she took what she could handle of him and she did keep going the criticism and right. she got this amazing criticism and she became came great and very unique and I loved and I guess that was an I ideal relationship and I I wanted him to love women the way Dashiell Hammett loved Lillian not yes. in this silly romantic way but not in a, in a possessive right. way but, but again that goes to all roads lead to honesty on that level. Yes. Like it's, it's to, 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 so you're talking about unconditional love. Yes. Right? You're talking about to, to love without other thoughts. 
which allows somebody to be authentic. It goes back to Joseph Campbell again, like it's right, writing stuff, like the hero's wow, journey. I love like, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, but it's very, very similar because it's like we're all looking for our authentic self. We're yes. all looking for our bliss. Well, we're on a quest. Yes. We're on a quest. That's what I was just going right. to say. We're on a yes, quest. Yes, for yes, bliss. yes, yes, yeah. yes. And either we help <laughs> each other or we take each other off the path. Absolutely. And so, what we're, when you talk about children, I mean, when I, when I, so, I, I worked on Toy Story before I became a dad, and. I can remember when, when Maya was born, my daughter was born, uh, somebody saying, well, is being a dad change your writing? And I, I was like, no, it doesn't change my writing. And now I look back, I'm like, it changed everything. Yeah. Changed how I see everything. It's changed how I see a glass of milk. It changed how I see wow. a stop sign. So, of course it changes your writing. And, but it, it still comes to, I think, being able to see and appreciate non-judgmentally anything right. so then you can kind of comment on it without your bias without your right. ego right. as much as possible right and you want to be with the right people this whole thing about people like i never feel i write all my lyrics and music alone i and i'm writing other things but i never feel alone so when people say you write alone i always feel like i guess i do but the whole thing with writing to me is also and i wonder if you two feel this way I want to get to the point where I can hand something to somebody or play something for somebody and they are suddenly involved in my life. And it's somebody that I want, that I respect. And I want their, like again, the Dashiell Hammett thing. Right. I want their criticism. I want their, I want their toughness. I want their also, you know, support. Okay, that's to me part of the process of writing is that you're not writing just for your, you want to be on a higher level with another human being or human beings. And movie making, right. that's the highest but level that, of people working together. To, but that goes to um, the audience or the consumer or whoever is part of your process. And I certainly, when I write, I, I see myself in a theater watching what I'm writing while I'm writing it. Wow. It's like this weird disconnect, but it helps me actually see it. Yeah, but really I think, beautiful. so I, if we're talking about this process, mine is so totally different wow. from both of yours. No, because mine is to get something out there um, that will, because usually I'm doing a profile of a person or a factual event that happened or an event that's coming up, is I want to make it sound fascinating to other people, but it's not really... I don't know. Yeah, but, there, but it. it's but, not really part of but me. But Bridget, like with, with absolute love here. Yes. And I, I'm oh, going to poach. No, I know, no, I know. Like, <laughs> I'm going to poach like an Eleanor Roosevelt line. Like you know, there's a. She basically said, uh, "Interesting people talk about ideas, not events," something like that. Oh I wow. Think, I think yeah, is that a great line? I think the problem with journalism a lot is that it's event driven. And right. I think that, like, when I read your profiles, they don't read event-driven. They're idea-driven. So I think we're, and again, just for me to you, I think that what you toggle back and forth with is the expectation of content for journalism right. and the idea of getting to a greater truth. And, you know, so, again, events are... Well, it also depends on who it is. I mean, who it is that I choose to interview very much is swayed by my own personal preference. I mean, it, I'm not a, but how, but I'm how not Sophie, a but journalist how Sophie, who has to just stick to the facts. But I how mean, Sophie I, chooses or chooses her, her topics for songs, how I... And I've interviewed both of you. Right, how I, I choose, you how I choose, <laughs> I can't say I get to choose the topics I write on, but I can choose the themes and the, and the, right. the things I'm okay, actually so writing I, about. Okay, so you're right. So it is, it is similar. I just feel like such a, I feel like a lesser being because you guys are talking about these portals. And I don't know if, so, it, was, I don't know if it was Norman Mailer or whoever, but somebody's like, writing's easy, you just sit down and open a vein. Like yeah. It's, it's oh, wow, 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 you know, wow. And that's, so it's that, that's what you're, I mean, we're all doing that. Anybody that's writing, anybody that is doing anything creative, that's what we're really doing. Okay, well, we're going to take another little break um, and play a little bit of Sophie's music cool. and come back with Sundays on the East End with Bridget right. Leroy and Alex Oclo and our guest Sophie B. Hawkins.
The following is a public service announcement from 88.3 WLIW-FM. Founded in 1987, The Retreat is a nonprofit licensed domestic violence agency. It provides a number of services to help break the cycle of family violence. The Retreat offers a secure residence on the east end of Long Island and works with local, state, and national agencies to provide a safe haven, food, clothing, and support. More information at theretreatinc.org or 631-329-4398. I'm Meg Noonan inviting you to join me on 88.3 WLIW-FM for Freeform Radio at its new time every Sunday night from 9 to 11. You'll hear a lively mix of rock in all its glorious subgenres, plus a heavy dose of soul, R&B, and more. So tune in to Freeform Radio, where variety reigns supreme, Sundays at 9 p.m. on 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. The following is a public service announcement from 88.3 WLIW-FM. If you have a teen who is struggling with drugs, alcohol, and or a mental health diagnosis, Outreach is there for you. For more than 35 years, Outreach has been saving the lives of teens and their families on Long Island by providing life-changing residential and outpatient treatment. More information by phone at 631-231-3232 or online at opiny.org. Serving Eastern Long Island and Coastal Connecticut, this is listener-supported 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. Your source for news, music, and entertainment, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week in Southampton, New York. Hello, this is Bridget Leroy. Today's show, an interview with singer-songwriter Sophie B. Hawkins, was our inaugural show, which aired on September 30th, 2018. Here it is in an updated format. We hope you enjoy. So we're back with Sundays on the East End. This is Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And we have the fascinating, brilliant, amazing, ephemeral goddess, Sophie B. Hawkins. What does the B stand for? Valentine. Valentine? As in Valentine. As in Valentine, that's my middle name. That's awesome. My middle name is Dove. <laughs> no, it isn't. Is, yeah. that, is that your that's middle name? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. My middle name is Warner. We all if know where you that came from. If you had called yourself <laughs> Dove, that would be such a different... Uh, although I also kind of fantasized of turning it to Vaughn, because I would go from like a Russian like potato farmer to like a German royal, like Alex, <laughs> Alex von, von Sokolow versus ba- Alex I, I would call Sokolow. you the Baron. <laughs> the Baron. Baron von Sokolow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but we were talking about serious things, and I'm yeah. like basically just a fly on the wall. You guys are the creators. No, no, no. no, no, yeah, no, no. So I'm, I'm actually really curious about this. So your philosophy of songwriting, which I don't know if you can put that into words necessarily, but like... When you say yes, I think I might be able okay. to. Okay. Oh, wait, you said what makes a good song. Yeah, well, your philosophy of what n- makes like, a good Well, well it's, it's kind of similar. Go wherever you want to go. Okay, with this, as neutrally as possible. Yeah. Like, when I hear songs, I'm not going to talk about myself, but when I hear songs that are able to be specific and personal, yet transcend the actual person who wrote it and even who sings it, songs like that they're the ones that last like because they're for every year there's so many so many songs and so many attitudes and cool this and and they might grab you in one way or another but very few survive the sifting of time so it's this strange combination because we talked about events events are kind of like the structure or they help build the structure for how we are able to tell stories but it's the other thing that you said, not the event, but the idea that is actually what captivates your heart and your mind. It makes you fall in love. You can fall in love with an idea. You really don't fall in love with an event. Yeah. And That's the thing so about true. a song is it makes you somehow remember or fall in love with something. You have that feeling of falling when you hear a song, and that's what makes it great. But I think it's also on a but you know what? Even that phrase of falling. Why is it falling in love? Because you like you why said, why aren't you rising serenity. to love? Well, yeah, you That's can rise because you have to fall from some expectation. You fall from some control, <laughs> fall right? From grace. Falling in love. I don't. Know, I think you, you know why. I I can tell that. you why I think Alec. Mm. I think it's because people are afraid of falling, and right. love for a lot of people is a let a scary kind of letting go, perhaps. 
Oh, absolutely, because you it's, let go of your judgment. And they, you, you, and rising is not scary, but falling right. well, is I, scary. I just heard a, a somebody say that uh, love is a, is a affliction of temporary insanity curable only by marriage. <laughs> oh my God, that's brilliant! Oh, yeah. Come you on, know, it's that weird when you get married, you fall sorry, in love, sorry, and I'm I'm sorry, not going sorry, on twenty. Sorry, I've yeah. just celebrated well, twenty-two I've years. I've never been married, you all. I've never yeah. been asked to marry anyone. I've never asked anyone to marry me, and it's a completely. I have no idea about marriage. I've been no. in long-term relationships, but I've never been married. Yeah, where I where I totally relate to what you're saying, is um, a good idea, for me transcends the platform that you hear it or experience it on yeah. and it does travel through time yes. and so it's you can hear a good idea that's thousands of years old and it still resonates well don't they say there's only like 10 ideas which i don't believe but that there's really only like 10 ideas that that are regurgitated over and over again as stories yeah well again that well you have the 12 notes of jazz and you talked about the th rule of three right i i think that there are there are so many ideas, but they all come back to love. Right. And to me, everything comes back to, to connection or separation. And all of our stories ultimately wow. lead us either to connection or to isolation. Yes, and sometimes you have to isolate to connect on the, on the truer level. Mm -hmm. And the need, the need to really grow for me and it's this it, it always i think of what gives me pain in life it's separation for instance from my children and, and, and the fear uh, for me yeah. the fear of that separation the fear of isolation the fear yes. of loneliness yes which again you want to go back to uni the universal concepts and godliness that's connection connect like so like when i can listen to your music i can listen to any music and what it does is it connects me to something something yeah. real inside of me you know I, my daughter like I said three kids and of all the memories that I have in my entire life it was giving birth to Georgia and I was I was naked I mean it was it was like it wasn't a home delivery it was in a hospital but they took I, her out I was naked when you gave birth to Georgia <laughs> also <laughs> it was really like it's a weird I coincidence know, he was prancing around the <laughs> delivery no I'm kidding um, but but it's amazing to me that sense memory of her being put on my stomach all kind of gushy and warm and she turned her head, I swear to God, and she looked right into my eyes. She wasn't even crying. And that was the most, that was still, still the most amazing first moment time, of first my First time I held Maya when she was born. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she's born and they, they swallow her like you can hold her. And uh, she passed her meconium. So, like, the first time I <laughs> held her, she, she so. <laughs> oh my God! And Sorry, Maya. Well, 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 Bing, Bing was a C-section, and they pulled him out, and he immediately started peeing into my into my internal. Oh my God! Oh, that's hysterical. You know. Anyway. Well, well, but the reason why I mentioned the fight with Dashiell was because, then the next morning I woke up and I sat on his bed, of course, with a cup of hot cocoa, and I said, Dashiell, I think I'm beginning to understand you, and he said. You mean you're beginning to understand yourself? Ouch. Are you I mean, serious? And how, this is how old? That's I, brilliant. He's nine. But yeah. I, I did. I, I had the ouch, and I had that's brilliant, and I had this like, whoa, yeah. this is this is, I don't know what I, I can. You got it when I said. No, no, that. but 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 again, like like we're talking about children, we're talking about creations, we're yeah. talking about writing, and they are all connected in, like the thing with writing for me, is, um, I get to be a child, when I'm writing. Yes. And that's really cool oh my what do you mean phrase. like teachable what do you like I what just is mean child there's a big like? inner child inside of well, me really, yeah. that comes out in my writing yes. i do a lot of animation i do a lot of family stuff right. but even when i've done things that, that are probably a little bit more complex or abstract <laughs> um the very process makes me childlike and so i get to enjoy that every day yes being an artist is bullshit compared with being a child uh, yeah when that was at picasso crying when he was older right. when he saw uh like preschoolers painting, realizing I'll never be able to paint like that. Right, I right, see, that that's freedom. actually true. Yeah. That's not even, that's true. Yeah. I believe that, I, when we were talking about our children being artists, I, I'm just in awe of their, of their development as artists. And then you actually see when they get ruined by the school. That, the, yeah. You yeah, see that well, moment. But, school, but schools, uh, and, and this isn't to indict, there are a lot of positive things about schools, but schools, unfortunately, um, f you know, fall into the group thought, what's good for society, what are the thoughts of society, and 
it strips away the individual. There was yes. a woman uh, named Susan Stryker who did these uncoloring books, or not, I don't even remember what they were called, but she showed, I mean, it was it was so powerful, a picture of a bird that a kid had driv- drawn when they were maybe five years old, and the bird was like wearing roller skates, and one wing was bigger than the other, <laughs> and it had a big smile on its face, and then after going to school, birds were check marks. They were check marks in the sky. Yeah. The same kid. That's how you drew a See, bird. See, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. That's why I did love the movie Captain Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I understood yeah. so much that father's... I love the first half of that movie. I don't know if they could they finished the story. But in the second half, he came naked out in the trailer, and that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't part of the story. That was just a little plus we got. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, for <laughs> some of us. <laughs> did you see it? No, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the first I? half was amazing, but I think, don't you... Re- I mean, as a parent, I just feel like always... I want to have that 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 year where I where I just have it be a free flow in some way that is not is not the, the competition and the struggling and the striving. I feel like childhood goes so fast. Well, do you? I this brings us now like kind of full circle. How has your songwriting? Uh, uh, Alec was talking about it. How has your process changed? I mean, are you writing songs for your children? I mean, now that you're aware, well, one that of my you have favorite children. songs, and actually, I hope I can send it by tonight. My absolute favorite song, one of them in the in the realm, I think of as I lay me down, is called "You Are My Balloon," and it's a new song. So and I'm going to send did, it, and I hope we get to play it. You performed it at yes, the hall, right? So "You Are My Balloon," and that it was when Esther came out, and she was, and we were in West Hampton, and I was nursing her, and I was playing my guitar and finding a song, and then uh, my friend Sadie brought me a ukulele because she said, "You're going to kill that child." with the guitar because it was so big and it was always there and I was always picking well anyway that song came out because I didn't know how to play the ukulele and yes yeah, so sometimes they help bring out this the the better the more the something and then um, also sometimes though I'm so uh, I feel so like I'm doing such a bad job as a mother that it could maybe take me longer I'm just throwing this out there it could possibly take me longer to get to the place of Childlikeness, because I feel. Right. But that, so, so there's that Oscar Wilde line again. What I'll, is it? I'll I love it. But he's like, he's basically quotes. like um, that. The real tragedy of, of getting older is not realizing how old you are, but realizing how young you are. Wow. And that's kind of what I think we're also talking about in creation. Yes. Creation keeps us, each one of us yes. individually, in a very playful place. Yes. We're also that's talking about so parenthood, true. and we you can't be the child and be the parent. And that's you can't because you oh, can't. See, my kids would argue with you that I'm totally the child. Yes, but you have to go back and forth. You have, to, you have to. You know, yeah. it's like a survival thing. You know when you have to be the knowing. You know when they need that. They tell you, as Alex said, they tell yeah. you what they need. And it's absolutely there are. You have to grow into something to be a parent. You cannot just be a child. No, to survive as an artist, you can't just be a child. No, that's I, one of no. the big pains about. I mean, sadness is about being an artist is what you learn, how you're exploited. And that's why, actually, you can't just be a child as a parent because your right. children will be and exploited. And by the way, when, when I was given the option or the, the offer of writing Garfield, my agent, my rep called up, and the first thing he says, Garfield, don't say no. Because it, it's like, hey, here's a chance to exploit you in what you do. Right, writing and do, do writing these things. <laughs> and I know that this isn't what you're thinking about, but this is going to be good for you. And he's right. It, it it, I remember it paid, you it paid call, my bills. That's why it, it I say did you all these it, things. It furthered my career. Don't, college don't yeah, pay for itself. Tuition don't pay itself. That's what right? you do. I remember the kind you of telling Eddie me that. Murphy line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Where he said, "Crack don't smoke itself." But like, it's, <laughs> but but it's. Uh, so I get it, and that's and that's the compromise. The real word that you just used, though, which I know we're we're getting towards the end, is exploitation yeah. and how you choose to be exploited, and when you know somebody else is exploiting you, and are you comfortable with that as a writer? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that with Sophie B. Hawkins here. I mean, without getting into too much, you know, detail, detail, I mean, have you felt exploited? As an artist. As as either an artist or a woman, I mean, during your career. Yeah, well, yes, but the thing is, I've made more mistakes not letting myself be exploited, and I would have to say, if I was going to say I made mistakes, they were all about refusing to surrender to exploitation or to and compromise your art well, because like and i i don't know how i would have said it but i i know that i've not chosen to do things that i really looking back on it think i could have shined at and it was because i was afraid who knows whether it was truly exploitation or whether i was just afraid i don't know i look back right. on we all, look well, back so on let's the talk about mistakes. that what, what were you afraid of uh, that i was expected to be somebody i wasn't and i really wanted so to be boxed who I in, was. being boxed yes. in 
And again, go back to the word authenticity to yes. something that was not the authentic you. Yes, yes, you're, you're hitting it. And I wish that I had more people in my corner saying, be you, be you. But I think often when you are a you, you have to, you are the only one who can be in your corner for those times. And there's moments where the world will applaud you, but those moments are fleeting. Well, I think we're probably just about wrapping up our time here on Sundays on the East End, our very first show, Bridget Leroy and Alex Socolow and our wonderful guest, Sophie B. Hawkins. Sophie, I hope you come back. I mean, this conversation could go on forever. This is really fun. It is, it is fun. I hope, I hope everybody enjoyed listening to this. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Yeah. And thank you, Kyle, for doing what you do. Couldn't do it without you. So thanks, and I hope you'll tune in next week, Sundays on the East End, with Bridget Leroy and Alex Hockle. Thanks for joining us. Be well, stay well.